0: And the scripture for this morning is Titus one, ten through 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons.
1: You can be seated if you are still standing. Thanks, Allison and Jason, so much. Yeah, I would clap too if I could. (laughs) I want you to think for a moment as I open up here in my Bible to the reality of life in, in regards to concerns. I mean, it's just amazing how many concerns we all have in life. And of course, there's a spectrum of the degree of concern, but life is filled with concerns. Maybe it's a concern about the vehicle you drive. Does it need repairs? The repair necessary that the mechanic wants me to have? Uh, That light inside on the dashboard. How important is that? dummy light indicator light whatever you want to call it maybe it's a concern with someone in your family could be a parent could be a child could be a sibling could be a spouse could be important or not so important but just concerns maybe it's a concern with a relationship a friendship maybe it's concern related to work something's happening Maybe it's a concern for you students about school and just can you believe there's only two weeks left? How great is that? But maybe as you get toward the end, there's a concern for that one grade. There's all kinds of concerns: our homes, uh, you know, drips and leaks, and and I mean, you just name it. It's it's astounding the number of things that go through our life, our mind related to concerns. And again, as I said, many of those concerns are small, and then there's ones that are large, and probably so much of the stuff that concerns us is somewhere in the middle. Well, this morning, as we continue our series in Titus, we just began it last week, we come to the main occasion of why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Titus. Now, remember a couple things if you were here last week or not. Uh, The Apostle Paul Wrote this letter to Titus, and, and this letter is often called a pastoral epistle, and it, that means it gets, it gets put with 1st and 2nd Timothy, and it's called pastoral because Titus, like Timothy, was, was doing pastor eldering kinds of work. I don't think Titus was a pastor like we think of, I think he was Paul's uh, representative, an apostolic representative, and, and then the word epistle is just a kind of fancy way of saying letter. So this is a letter to encourage someone who's doing pastoring kinds of things and uh, some different concerns. And sometimes when we read Paul's letters, it's clear what the occasion, the reason was. And Titus is one of those. And the passage you heard Allison read just a moment ago is that occasion. There were false teachers in uh, these churches there in this island of Crete. And the Apostle Paul wanted to deal with that. That is the main reason the main concern for him writing this letter but like i said last week uh, this isn't just a letter about false teachers in fact um, i mentioned one writer who talks about this whole letter being a blueprint if you will for a healthy church and that's kind of what we're trying to do as we as we walk through and work through and even the passage today related to false teachers we want to come up kind of to another level and see as we understand not only this concern but the whole letter God's provided us a blueprint for a healthy church. And that's our series title, um, Building or Becoming a Healthy Church. And I want that for SOMA, and I think most of you do as well. You want our church to be as healthy as as it can be. And one of the ways it can be healthy is when we we take a look and we listen to what God has said in His Word. So this morning, then, as we kind of get into what is somewhat of a funny passage, uh, if, if we're honest, at least to our ears, Cretans, those Cretans. I hope none of you are from Crete. If you are, you got to tell me afterwards. That would just be funny to know. Uh, so as we get into that, this morning we are going to get to the kind of bottom line of what was happening with the false teachers and the false teaching. And again, it's going to help us determine some things related to building a healthy church. But two main movements this morning, okay, if you need kind of to hang your hat on some hooks as far as an outline of where we're going. The m- movement number one is going to be the concern of false teachers. We've got to unpack that, the concern of false teachers. And then the second main thing we'll look at is the solution to the false teachers, I was messaging my good friend who's a pastor in uh, the Detroit area this morning. He asked what I was preaching on, and I said, uh, Titus one 10 through 10-16, the concern and solution to false teachers, and he wrote back to me, just tell them false teachers are dummies and that nobody should listen to them. So there you go. That's it. Let's close in prayer. But there's a little bit more to it than that. So if you haven't already, please open or swipe in your Bible to... Titus, little the little three-chapter book or letter of Titus, chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And let's look first off then at the concern of false teachers. John Stott, famous commentator and former pastor, he's now died and gone home to be with the Lord. He has a great uh, statement about the, this paragraph, it's what it is, and he says that, This paragraph by Paul alerts Titus to the identity, the influence, the character, and the errors of the false teachers. So I'm going to steal those four movements here under the concern. And so let's look first off at the identity of the false teachers. Verse 10, Paul says to Titus, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Right there at the end of verse 10, the circumcision party, this is where we really kind of start to understand the identity of these false teachers here to Crete. And, and let me just say for a second, by the way, um, what we have in in this section, in this paragraph, is a very kind of specific, although Paul is somewhat general, but Titus would have known and, and the churches would have known what these false teachers, these these circumcision party folks were doing and saying, and and it obviously is addressed to a very specific thing almost some 2,000 years ago. We need to do something right now and just that is recognize that even though this is God's Word for us, it most definitely is for us today, Um, this wasn't written to us. This wasn't written to Soma Church or the churches of Sonoma County in 2021, okay? If if we had that, the specifics of the false teachers would be different, so, so let's not just kind of go, party of the circumcision and, you know, Cretans, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, you know, like that has no relevance. Let, let's work hard to step up and say, okay, while the specifics aren't to us, most definitely God's word is for us and there's things we will glean. And I, I hope to make some of those connections. So the circumcision party. There's a long history in the early church with, with kind of this group from within, of course, we have to remember Jesus, our Savior. He was Jewish; he was a Jewish rabbi. And as he came on the scene, and as he lived his life, and and then died his death, what, what did he create? He created the church, and the church is made up of Jews. Jesus was Jewish, and Jewish believers who were the first uh, followers of Jesus, first Christians, we would say, and then eventually Gentiles—anyone that's not Jewish. Okay, probably most of us would be Gentile. Christians living living now. But early on, there was this group that was Christian. They, they were Jewish, and there, there were challenges. Acts chapter 15, the famous Jerusalem Council. Of course, Paul would write about it a lot in the book of Galatians. There was a lot where they had to deal with this group that wanted to basically retain certain things that were specific to being uh, under the Old Covenant, and that now under the new covenant under the work finished work of Christ on the cross with the resurrection is obsolete okay and so that that's what's really going on Jesus would say in in John 4:22 that salvation is from the Jews and there's a proper place to sort of honor and recognize uh, the the Jewish uh, lineage from which Christianity comes from but but now on this side of the work of Jesus we don't go back we don't have to uh, live by that those codes the the law given to Moses for the people of Israel but this group of the circumcision party um, they had a few different things and they were kind of boundary markers because for God's people for all those years prior to Jesus it was a big deal that they had been given circumcision as a as a mark of of being God's people. They had specific dietary laws related to who they were. And those were things that set them apart uh, from all the other peoples of the earth. And now in Christ, most of those things are obsolete. Jesus would say, in fact, related to food, all food is clean. So we can enjoy bacon now. We don't have to not eat bacon for for fear of, it, of being unclean or, or shellfish or whatever you like, like it 's all clean, Jesus said now there 's no longer those dietary laws and, and 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 so on and other various kinds of things, but these would be issues that Peter would deal with, Paul would deal with Barnabas james they, they would wrestle through how Jewish do we need to be or not be, and the bottom line was we don 't need to be Jewish, we need to be. Christian, we need to follow Jesus, and yes, we still look back, and in in the law we see who God is, and the Ten Commandments they play out in the New Testament. At least nine of them for sure. Right? The Sabbath one is probably the one that's least clear cut in terms of what it looks like to, looks like to obey the Sabbath. Of course, we meet on Sunday, which is not the Sabbath; it's the Lord's Day. We call it the first day of the week. We do that. Because Jesus rose on the first day, but Paul would write, "One day is not more important than any other day if a church needs to meet Tuesday nights at seven thirty p m that 's fine too So all these these struggles were, were happening, and here you have this island of Crete, which is Gentile, but Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, there were people from Crete there in Jerusalem who heard Peter preach the gospel, they took the good news back and and, and we don't know, like I mentioned last week, when Paul got there and when churches were started. But remember, he said uh, to, Tim, to Titus when he started this letter, he said in the early part that he, he left Titus, verse 5, in Crete, that Titus might put what remained into order. There, there was still a lot of work to be done, and they were trying to figure out what it looked like to follow Jesus as Christians. And so there's this this circumcision group, again, probably championing circumcision as something that was required, even though the early church decided, no, that's not required. And then if you jump down um, for a moment into our paragraph, verse 14, Paul's going to say a little bit more down there, but he says, speaking of them, they're Jewish myths, okay, they're Jewish myths. So there was something, again, where not only did they bring kind of this Old Testament law stuff to the forefront, but there was also a weird mythological thing they were doing. And in Titus, he would talk about myths and genealogies when Paul wrote to Timothy. So there seems to be some weird adaptation that this circumcision party was doing, not only trying to get people to look more Jewish than God required, but also a weird. Unpacking of these Jewish myths and genealogies and following certain people and, and, and all these things that Paul and Timothy and now here in Titus says are not part of sound faith, are not part of true teaching. So that's the identity. But then notice still back here in verse 10, look at these three opening words about this group. He says, first, there are many who are insubordinate. That basically means rebellious. They they refused to submit to the church and to the apostles and the authority that God had ordained. Rebellious, insubordinate. Then he calls them empty talkers, empty talkers, fruitless talkers. When we hear that in, in English we We kind of understand it to be more of an annoyance, right if you're talking to someone that's you know and you call them an empty talker It's just more like you want to roll your eyes like, oh, they got nothing of substance to say for Paul here to say this to Titus, the language here is a bit more than than just an annoyance but but really an understanding of their what they are talking and teaching, and that's kind of the underlying point they weren't just. Now and then, spouting off these things they they were teaching these things for it to be empty talk spoke of it being really futile talk like it it was not healthy talk it was devoid of anything worthwhile and then the third description is deceivers well that's a big term as well. This circumcision party they were insubordinate, rebellious, they were empty talkers, but then they were deceiving that that is Deliberately leading people astray. They weren't just wrong. Like, to, to, to be called a deceiver, to be a deceiver, means there's a willful attempt to, to change something the way someone thinks. So that's the identity of this group. And then we see their influence. Verse 11. It says, they are upsetting whole families. By the way, it could literally be families, Okay. But also, very probably, it speaks of families of churches. Probably on Crete, there were a bunch of home churches, house churches. And and just like we at Soma talk about being a church family. So on this island of Crete, and there's all these different cities that, that Titus is supposed to go and help make sure things are in order. Paul says, this group, they're upsetting whole families, possibly whole churches, by teaching, again, there it is, they're not just talking about it over coffee. They're they're teaching, notice what he says, for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Shameful gain simply means they were motivated by money, greed. A lot of false teachers, even today, are motivated by money, by greed. The prosperity preachers in our day especially, we were talking about this, in my family just the other day, some of those prosperity preachers who live outrageously lavish lifestyles and yet what they say to the people in their churches and to those watching on TV and on the internet that, oh, you need to give, give to this ministry, give to this ministry and God will bless you and make you have more money, which is nonsense. Nothing like that is taught in the Bible. And there's there's a desire for greed, motivated by greed, shameful gain. It's quite an influence if they're, upsetting whole families. We'll come back to the first part in a minute, the solution, because Paul is very clear what is to be done to these false teachers. Let's look at their character next, verses 12 and 13. So Paul's identified these false teachers as being Jewish, but let's remember they're they're Cretans. They're from Crete, okay? And, and there was a reputation uh, if you were from Crete. And so we mentioned this briefly last week. Paul now not only links these false teachers to their Jewish identity and what they're teaching, but their culture that they are are clearly a part of. So in, in verse 12, he says, one of the Cretans, a prophet, think think of like a philosopher, one of, one of your own, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Right, we were talking about this as a family yesterday, you know, I'm... I'm not from West County, uh, so if I were to make a, a dig at, oh, you know, those West County people, I can't really do that in, in good conscience, right, because I'm not one, uh, but if I, you know, were to try to make a dig about, you know, people that live in Santa Rosa and live in, you know, Northwest Santa Rosa, well, then I could do that because that's where I'm from, so, so Paul here, he's, he's going to kind of make a dig, and it's kind of weird for our ears, and we kind of like, ooh, is that Jesus-like of you, Paul? but but he he's trying to show them hey you, these false teachers fit right in with the the prevailing wisdom of the people from Crete and so he quotes one of their own and in, and that statement again is Cretans are always liars evil beasts lazy gluttons and then Paul adds this testimony is true <laughs> add that to your list of things you want to ask in heaven one day you know like to what extent Paul you know, were you, were you going along with this stereotype, you know, or or whatever, okay? Now, let's talk about, about this. Uh, Crete was proverbial in the ancient world for its moral decadence. In fact, that, that second thing there in verse 12, the, the quote about Cretans being evil beasts, the island of Crete had very few literal evil beasts. So, the fact that the people were known as evil beasts is somewhat ironic. Like, the way they lived it would even probably make us living in in our day blush a little bit that they were they were pretty pretty evil in in their their lifestyle. The ancient historian Polybius wrote that it was almost impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. Cicero stated, "Moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery Honorable. In fact, to, to, to Crete became a slang word of by, uh, to say that someone lied. If you if you lied, they would say, "Ah, you just creted." You know, they'd kind of speak that way about uh, who they were. So again, by Paul saying this testimony is true, he is generalizing, and obviously not everyone was. He he had pretty good thoughts for the elders. That were there and for the churches, but for these false prophets, he's saying you're 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 Jewish in, in, in your kind of the content, but but you there's more to it than that. There there is this character that is right in line with the island from which you live and, and from what you're known by. Now this quote seems to be from Epidemides, uh, I'm sorry, Epimenides of Crete. And Paul would quote him in the book of Acts as well. You might recall in Acts seventeen, when Paul is um, in Athens, there Paul said in Acts seventeen twenty-eight, speaking to all these intellectuals, he says, "For in him we live and move and have our being." And that was a quote from the same guy, Epimenides of Crete. And those lines are found just two lines later than what we read here in Titus one twelve. So Paul knew this poet of their day, probably who had been alive around 600 B.C., Epimenides of Crete. And so Paul quotes it, not only in Acts, but then here to Titus as well. Again, the point is not that every Cretan is like this, but as one writer put it, the decadence and dishonesty that they're known for on this island are in fact a threat to the churches that Titus is helping put in place. And these false teachers have so embedded this way of life, even into their, their false teaching. Now notice back here again, in verse verse 13, he says, and it's getting into the solution a little bit. He says, and we'll come to it in a second, but he says, rebuke them sharply. Why? That they may be sound in faith. Uh, let's not miss that. Paul does have some strong words in regard to the solution, and we'll, we'll get there in a second. But notice right there, the, the pastoral heart of the Apostle Paul comes out, he, he wants them to be sound. That means healthy. I want my shoulder to be sound, so I'm trying really hard to listen to the uh, medical expertise of my doctors and my care people to keep this arm in its sling and to not do anything. I want it to be sound, healthy and that's what Paul's saying maybe just maybe these false teachers if they're dealt with they they will be healthy they will be sound in the faith and we talked about that last week the faith there is there is the faith that Christians have there is a confessional faith a a you know a linking of what the scriptures teach about God who he is what he's done who we are as people made in God's image, who Jesus was as Savior and Lord and what he came to do and and so on. There is the faith, the apostolic faith that is being taught and has been delivered. And the apostle wants them ultimately to be sound in the faith. Then finally, the errors. Now we kind of get into a little bit more of this. Verse 14. He says, let me pick it up again. At verse 13, the end of verse 13. That they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Now, I mentioned already the idea of the myths uh, and when we talked about their identity. And you can look at 1 Timothy one four. Paul uses the same word there. And in that context, there was, again, this idea of these genealogies. And they just would go down, we call them rabbit trails, right? Or, you know, it's like when you're watching YouTube and all of a sudden you just keep going, 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 watching more and more videos unrelated to where you started. Well, they they would get into all of this stuff. And ultimately, what does Paul say? He says it's the commands of people. And this is an echo to the words of Jesus. Jesus taught that in his time, a lot of the Pharisees, a lot of the religious leaders were more concerned with the, the commands of men, sort of the rules that people came up with, and they put those as more important than the commands of God. And ultimately, the commands of people, these Jewish myths, ultimately, it turns you away from the truth. Again, a confessional body of truth. It's, again, Paul's way of saying the gospel, but not just like that Jesus died and rose and how you get to heaven, gospel, but but the whole of, of the apostolic faith that has been handed down to the early church to be passed on to the world these these false teachers, their errors are turning people away from the truth verse fifteen to the pure all things are pure again, this is where we try we're kind of reading between the lines, but probably this speaks to that that jewish circumcision party where they were about dietary things and what you could eat and what you couldn't eat more thinking that stuff on the outside is what makes a person clean and pure but jesus had countered that jesus said it's not what you eat if you eat with hands that have not been ceremonially washed or whatever that defiles you he said no it's what comes from inside the things we, we hate that lead to how we speak. that The things we think about that aren't pure that come from our heart from the inside. And So Paul here, picking up on that teaching of Jesus, he says, to the pure, to those that God has purified, all things, all food is pure. Again, go enjoy a BLT today. Bacon's clean, according to Jesus. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving. And again, he's... He's going after these teachers here very sharply. He says, to them, nothing is pure. Both their minds, their consciences are defiled. This isn't just an example of a group over here who has, well, some secondary opinions about secondary things. These these teachers were speaking things, teaching things that were leading people away from the truth. And they were defiled. They, they, they are unclean. They, they embody this Cretan lifestyle. He goes on in verse 16. They profess to know God. Oh, they give a profession out of their mouth. They, they say they believe. But they deny God. They deny Him by their works. That is their deeds. That is their life. They, oh, they say it. Their life is its evident that they don't know Him. And then, he here is, is very direct. They are detestable, disobedient. That's now the second time in this paragraph he's said that word, unfit for any good work, any good deed. Paul's going to say those two words, good work, six different times in this letter. Here it's negative. Here it's negative. He says, these teachers, they're they're not fit. They're unfit for good works. Think Ephesians 2, 10, right? Let me back up. Think Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Three verses we all need to know. If you don't know these three, memorize them. But I think most of you know it. At least maybe as I start to say it, you'll recall it. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that we can't boast, okay? It's all God. Our coming to him is all of him. Grace from him, faith from him. There's nothing in us to, to boast. It's all of God. But then verse 10, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we ought to walk in them. In other words, before the foundation of the world, when God shows us, we talked about, Last week, Paul's writing, For the faith of the elect, those that God has chosen, who in time would come to respond to the gospel, before the foundation of the world, God prepared and planned that his sons and daughters would do good works. Not good works to get God's blessing, to get salvation, but in response. So he's going to talk about that a lot in this letter. He, he thinks that the Cretans, but God thinks all of his sons and daughters and all generations are to be people of good works and good deeds, again, in response to grace. But these false teachers, Paul says, they're not fit for any good work. They're detestable, disobedient. Paul is pretty, pretty clear about them. Again, a throwback reminder to the words of Jesus in Luke 6 46 or Matthew 23, verse 3. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? So, profession alone is not enough. There, There's there's profession and belief. Remember, we talked about this last week. There's, there's to believe and to respond. It's both. There isn't to be this gap. Genuine Christians will profess the truth and their life will follow it. So, what is the solution then? That's That's the concern on Crete for these false teachers. What's the solution? And and as I talk about the solution, let me make a couple of statements, I hope relevant to our day. Because I haven't dealt with any Judaizers lately. I haven't dealt with any of the circumcision group. I don't know if you have. Don't see that one much anymore. The solution, number one, is the elders of the church. Look back at verse 5. Sorry, verse 6. Verse 10. (laughs) Sorry. Where we started this morning. The first little word, I don't know if your translations are the same as mine, but in the ESV, the first word is that word for. Not the number, not F-O-U-R, but F-O-R. So remember I said last week, We looked at the opening verses, verses 5 to 9, where the Apostle Paul talks about one of the things Titus was to do was to to make sure there are elders, overseers, pastors in place. Okay, And then right at verse 10, that word for links what he's just talked about into this whole issue of, of false teachers. The reason the Cretans need elders and need shepherds and pastors is for because... Many are disobedient. In other words, these these false teachers, the first solution is to have elders. John Stott, who I quoted earlier, said that if there are more and more false teachers, there needs to be more and more elders. The first solution God gives to false teachers is to have elders and pastors. Second solution, however, from our passage today, is, is that false teachers need to be silenced and they need to be sharply rebuked. So you look back in our passage, verse 11, they must be silenced. Literally, they must be muzzled. Quite a, quite a picture. Think about sometimes you see people walking their dogs, right? And sometimes some dogs will have that, that muzzle on, that the thing to stop their mouths from opening. It's quite a, quite a picture. Paul says, not only do we need to have elders in place to deal with false teachers, but if they are prolific, they need to be silenced. Titus, you need to silence them. There, there's no place for just kind of passive, well, you know, we'll let, let the Holy Spirit, you know, do their thing. No, they, they need to be silenced. And that doesn't mean there isn't a place to pray for the Holy Spirit to work. For the elders to pray and to decide what's the Christ honoring way, loving way to speak the truth in love, to speak the truth graciously. But false teachers need to be silenced. And then a little bit later in our passage, Paul's a little more direct. In verse thirteen, after speaking of them as Cretans, right in the middle of verse thirteen. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply. Now again, that would include lovingly, graciously, kind words. But they need to be rebuked sharply, directly. The Apostle Paul's solution for Titus on Crete with this group of people, the party of the circumcision that had embodied the Cretan way of life and were teaching things that were upsetting whole families, whole families of churches, that were pulling people away from the truth, away from following the faith, was to have elders. And and notice, again, just look briefly back up into verses 5 to 9. Elders, they are to be folks, verse 9, who hold firm to the trustworthy word, the faith, the truth, as taught. Why? So that the the overseers, the elders, may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke. There's that word rebuke that he says, you got to sharply rebuke those who contradict it. So for us in our day, like I joked, we may not have, Parties of circumcision people saying that we need to still obey the dietary laws of the law and and be circumcised. And they may not talk about Jewish myths and genealogies. But I already mentioned we have prosperity preachers who who peddle God's word all for gain. Who, Who expect their followers, their attenders, their members, those watching to give them money. Teachers and and all of us, they need to be silenced. We need to call them out. They need to be sharply rebuked. I worry most in our day about what can kind of generically be called progressive Christianity. This idea that that what God has said in His Word, which is pretty clear, is not enough. And again, not not talking about secondary things. I'm not talking about you know intramural debates about the timing of. The events in Genesis, or intramural debates about the timing of Jesus's return, there there is a place for secondary things, but progressive Christianity are people who want to say we need to be reformed from kind of this this traditional stuffy authoritarian Christianity that speaks of having elders in churches that speaks of there being. The Word of God is being inerrant and infallible. That wants to allow for a lot of things that God's Word pretty clearly has said, no, that's, that's, that those things aren't allowed. And, and we could talk about that more if you're interested. I, I get concerned about that. Really, all progressive Christianity is, is just a, a new packaging of liberal Christianity. And by liberal Christianity, again... Uh, a Christianity that denies the sound faith, the, the pure doctrine, the truth, that, that confessional belief that that has been passed down to us, that wants to deny miracles, deny things like the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus, that wants to deny the authority God has put in place. And when we see that in the church, prayerfully, graciously, in love. It needs to be silenced. It needs to be rebuked. It needs to be called for what it is. As we wrap up, I want us to praise God for His Word. We we may think, oh my goodness, you know, kind of a funny passage about this specific issue T- uh, Titus had to deal with. But praise God, His Word still stands. We still need to have elders who hold firm to the faith, we still need God's word and God has given it to us. So when when we see and smell false teaching, we come to the source and we, we deal with it. So praise God for his word and praise God for elders. And I'm not patting myself on the back with, with that statement. In our context, I praise God for Pastor Rich, for Pastor Jim. And over our 13 years or so, we've had plenty of times in our our elders' meetings where we have prayed for various teaching things that we've had to make sure weren't happening or we were concerned about. And again and again, the three of us come back to this. This is our, our marching order right here. And so I praise God for this team. But, but let me finally ask you, please pray for us. Pray that we would be men that, that are submitting to God and His Word and that, that will, when necessarily necessary, Silence and sharply rebuke false teaching. Pray that we'll do it in love. But we, we, we don't want to be a church that allows false teaching to go undealt with. Would you stand with me as I offer our benediction this morning? Let me pray first. So Father... We are a long way removed from the island of Crete. We are a long way removed from the specifics that Paul wrote to Titus concerning their specific false teaching issue. But thank you that you've given us your word and if we will be men and women that are submissive to you and your word, we will be protected from the false teaching in our day. Whether it be prosperity, preachers whether it be progressive christianity or any other false thing that comes along protect us thank you for the elders we have help us be men dependent upon you men in whom we we would say we like last week we don't perfectly meet those qualities but but we by your grace are qualified to be elders of your church and i pray you'd raise up more father in our church, and in the churches in Sonoma County, churches in our state, our country, and the world. All ultimately, Father, so that your church would be healthy. And we pray that for Soma, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you go this morning, may the Lord bless you and keep you. What a gorgeous afternoon we are embarking into today. So may he bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his face, his countenance upon you and give you peace. You are dismissed.